You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Man, what a blessing. What a great song. And, uh, I mean, next, I need to talk to him about singing it with some passion, you know, but... Um, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Appreciate the way they sang it, too. And uh, got up here and just gave us the, the message, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, well, they, sound, they sound good together, too. I mean, they, I'm, I kind of should take some credit for picking the interns this summer, but Samuel's the one that put it, put it all together. So uh, we're gra- I'm grateful, grateful for those guys, I'm telling you. Um, they have... They've been just a huge blessing to me personally this summer, and uh, just with everything. The Lord knew that this was going to happen, and that this was going to happen, and uh, he knew we would have the right guys in place to take care of things, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, Genesis 19 is where we're going to be this morning, Genesis 19, and uh, as you find it, if you could stand in honor of the reading of the scripture here this morning, Genesis 19... We're back in Genesis 19, and if I can be transparent with you, I would have picked a different passage to preach this morning, my first sermon back, and the Lord knows those things. There are a lot of lessons to learn in this passage, but the, chat, the story itself is hard to stomach. It's, it's one of those hard, difficult passages in the scripture. The last time we were in it, we saw how Lot had been in Sodom and how his progression of, into sin and the wickedness in Sodom, it caused unthinkable consequences. And we see that played out here in, at the end of the chapter. And beginning in verse 15 is where we're going to start. We're going to read the chapter and then mostly reference it from this point on. Genesis 19, verse 15. And if you'll just pay attention, I think you'll pick up on some of the things that we, we won't need to go over again. It says in verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And if you remember the end of verse 13, the angels say, here's why we've come, it says, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. They have literally come to destroy the city of Sodom, and yet the angels are trying to get Lot to hurry up. They're trying to get him to get out of the city. Look at verse 16, and while he lingered, can you imagine... While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. Those are the only people he had any influence over, his wife and his two daughters. Everyone else laughed at him, said, The Lord bring merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. This is really the, the crux of what we're looking at, the, the passage here today. Think about Lot's frame of mind. Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in, in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Can you imagine bargaining with God and saying, 
you got me out of Sodom, but I don't really want to go to the mountain. Can, can we just go to this little city over here? It's little. Okay, let me just go there. Well, God is merciful. It says, verse 21, he said unto him, the angel said, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of the heavens, heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Look down at verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him for he feared to dwell in Zoar and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And this is just one of the most shameful stories and the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in, in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. This is the answer to their problems. This is, what, this is their frame of mind. This is what they've learned from their father as they've been in Sodom. Verse 33, it says, And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. The second daughter does the same thing. In verse 36, it says, Those were both the daughters of Lot, with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, the same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. And it's just shameful. And it's, it's really, it's terrible. And uh, it's, again, not a passage you want to preach. I mean, on the morning like this, I thought about doing something patriotic. felt like the Lord would have me do this. And really, we could take this in so many different directions. But I want to look at this from Lot's perspective because you can see faulty thinking on the part of Lot and it's his undoing. I mean, he lost everything because he viewed things incorrectly. And what I'm calling the message this morning is different scenery, same result. Different scenery, same result. Because sometimes we think that changing our circumstances or changing our environment will fix all of our problems. But we must adjust our thinking and realize that our problems aren't out there. Our problems are right here. And Lot didn't see it, and it cost him everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. I pray that you would help us today to be open and help me to very efficiently and clearly convey this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's clear that God intends to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. The problem is that Lot and his family, they live in Sodom. And it's a problem because according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, Lot was a just man. Lot had been saved. Lot had had, had a relationship with God at one point. And, and I'm assuming a lot of that had to do with Abraham, his uncle. But Lot, according to the New Testament, Lot was saved. Lot was a just man. And so God does not, does not want to pour his wrath out on his children. And yet he's going to do that to Sodom and Gomorrah. But he must get Lot and his family, whoever will listen, he must get them out of the city first. 
So remember, Lot had looked toward the well-played waters of Sodom, and then he had pinched, pitched his, uh, his tents toward Sodom, and then he, had fin- he finally moved into Sodom, and then I told myself it wasn't going to move. I'm going to stay right here. Then he had moved into Sodom. I usually do a couple cartwheels every service. You're not getting that today, okay? Yeah. Um, he'd, he, he had moved into Sodom. And when we get down to verse 19, verse, in chapter 19, verse 1, it says that there, there, there came two angels of Sodom and even Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. You know what that means? What started as a look and then a lean and then living in became a loyalty to. He was actually the mayor of the city or, a, or high up in the city council or the city government. He had influence I mean, he wasn't just living and kind of existing. No, he was influencing there in Sodom and not for good. So here's a just man living in uh, the middle of uh, the most despicable place on earth. And that wasn't though his problem. Understand, last time we looked at how Lot's problem was not that where he lived in Sodom. The big problem was that Sodom lived in Lot. His problem was that Sodom had influenced his heart. And when those two angels came into the city to stay with Lot, the men of the city, it says, they, every man of the city came and surrounded his house. And rather than, because of the hospitality ethics of the day, rather than send the men that were under his roof out, he offered up his own two young virgin daughters to be abused by the men of the city. I mean, that can happen to a person of faith if you exist long enough with the wrong influences preaching and teaching into your ears. You know, the angels protect themselves. They cast blindness on the men of the city and, and they come, they give one final warning. They say, God has sent us to destroy this city and Lot tries to convince his sons-in-law and everybody else in his family and they just think he's like someone mocking because they're so used to seeing him being all in in Sodom. So it starts really with a word of warning. And they come and again the morning rises. The angels come and they hasten Lot, it says. They, they have to hasten him. And it, the destruction is coming. And, and before we, we get too far into this, um, probably the most important lesson that you can learn from Genesis 19 is the fact that sin will always bring destruction. Sin will always bring destruction. Uh, Jude wrote about this in his book. He says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, Jude says the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah is important is because it reminds us that sin, and specifically sexual sin, will always have terrible consequences. And we live in a country that sexual sin is running rampant. And listen, we want to love people and we want to give them the message. But understand this, if their sin is left unchecked, it will destroy their lives like it's destroying our country. There are a few passages in scripture where it plays out so clearly. Then right here in Genesis 19, the angels have to hasten Lot. They have to, they have to grab him and hurry him up. And it feels a little bit like getting out of my house on Sunday mornings with four daughters. You know, except that he's not looking in the mirror and he's not in the bathroom for long periods of time. No, no, Lot is just so attached. And, and they have to hasten. They said, we've come to destroy the city 
And you've already seen our power. We've already, i got to get back over here. We've already seen our power and you've already seen us. Uh, we, they, they struck the men with blindness. I mean, if anybody should believe that these men have power, Lot should believe it. He should believe what they're saying, but they have to hasten him. And it says that he is lingering, he's hesitating. And God in his mercy has those angels grab him by the hand and pull him and his wife and his two daughters out of the city. And they're, said, they're, told, they're told, don't look back. You just go to the mountain and get as far away from the destruction as possible. So it starts with a word of warning. And then we, though we see, and I don't normally alliterate, but you know, the medication's been good to me this week. So we see then there's a wishy-washy wish. Say that five times fast. Verse 18 through 20. Look what he said. This wishy-washy man has a wish. Lot said unto them, oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. You know what he's saying? <clears throat> Sodom is saying, we avoided the consequences in Sodom. We, we, we're not going to be destroyed by Sodom. That's great. You showed us mercy. We appreciate it. <coughs> Excuse me. You got us in and out. We're out of the city. We're, we're thankful, but I can't go to the mountain. Listen, I, I don't want some evil to befall me up there. And uh, Here's a little city over here. Can you just take me there instead of the mountains? And what Lot is saying is, I'm a, I'm a city boy and I don't do camping. And that's essentially what he's saying. And you say, well, amen, I, I subscribe to the philosophy that there's no such thing as a happy camper. <laughs> and now I, I love camping, I really do. I love to be in the mountains, I love to be away from everything. And I know it's not for everyone, but listen, and I, said, I, I say it ha you know, jokingly, but Lot and his, his family had grown so accustomed to the environment there in Sodom that they couldn't imagine themselves not being in a city. They couldn't imagine themselves surviving in the mountains because they had grown dependent on the city. And they couldn't see God taking them to the mountain and helping them to survive. They, they had completely moved in heart and everything into Sodom. And little did Lot know that it, that wasn't, it wasn't what was in the mountains that was going to destroy him and his family. Look at verse 21. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. So we see here that the Lord is merciful. You know, and we have a lot of people that say, don't let, don't let people tell you that God's not a God of mercy. Because here's, here's Lot and he wants to change God's plans. And God allows him to go to the city instead of the mountains. And the implication here is that God would have destroyed Zoar too. But instead he's going to allow him to go into Zoar and he won't destroy Zoar now. This is mercy. God drags him and his family out of the city. And the Lord's mercies are everlasting and they're new every morning. And if we got what we deserve, friends, then God's justice would be swift and quick. We would be consumed like Jeremiah says. But the God of justice is also a God of love and mercy. And his mercy shines through in this story as brightly as it does in any other passage. God is a God of mercy. Lot and his family, they enter into Zoar, this 
little city and the Lord rains down upon Sodom and Gomorrah this fire and brimstone from heaven. And he overthrows all the cities of the plain and it's such destruction that it says nothing is left growing out of the ground. Verse 26 though, we begin to see that Lot wasn't the only wishy-washy member of the family. It says his wife looked back from behind them, behind him and she became a pillar of salt. I can't explain this or understand this. I just know it's a picture that God wanted us to get. He was, she was being dragged out of the city, Lot's wife, and yet she looked back. She wanted to see what was happening because it represented her heart. And in case you think it's not a significant moment that Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt, Jesus Christ himself said in Luke chapter 17, he said, remember Lot's wife. And the context of that story is that, that he says, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life shall preserve it. And we could spend a whole message talking about Lot's wife. We should think about and remember Lot's wife. And the thing is, if you want to hold on to the things of this world, you cannot please God too. You can love the world and the things that are in the world, but that means the love of the Father is not in you. And the lust of the world passes away, but if you love the Father, the Bible says in 1 John that you will abide forever. And I hope that that difference is clear here. After realizing that Zoar wasn't going to be much better for them than Sodom, then they escape for his, into the mountain. They go where they're supposed to, only for his daughters to assume <coughs> that he's the only man left on earth. Can you imagine? They were so wrapped up in the city lifestyle. They were so wrapped up in what was happening in Sodom that his daughters thought, well, that's the whole world. And when God destroyed those cities in the plains, they thought we're, there's nobody left. And so the only option for us is if we want to have children and we want to carry on this, this seed here, then we've got to lay with our father and, and have a child by him. Which, by the way, the Ammonites and the Moabites caused as much of a heartache for the children of Israel as any other tribes did. Lot's legacy and influence were, never, were, were forever marred by his decision to be influenced by Sodom. He planted seeds of sin in his, in his own family's hearts and they could not escape the fruit. And fathers, I know it's not Father's Day anymore, but never forget that the things that you allow to influence you and influence your family will have long-lasting fruit and you don't get to choose the fruit. You don't get to choose the consequences. Sin may look appealing, but if God has said don't do it, it's not because he doesn't want to ruin all your fun. He's trying to preserve you from judgment. And I know it's not a popular message these days, but like it or not, sin destroys you. Sin is destructive and it's full of judgment and it'll leave you as a pillar of salt and it'll leave you in a tent doing things you never thought you could. There's a way that seems right to us but the end thereof are the ways of death and for us to assume we can operate in sin and disobedience to God without the lasting consequences is absolute foolishness. Unchecked sin will destroy our families. But I want to focus on something that Paul said that that lots, I don't know where Paul came from, medication. <laughs> I want to focus on something that Lot did specific that I think is a problem for us. And I, I think it's something we could learn from, from his request back up in verses 18 through 20. See, Lot thought he could escape the consequences of sin when he left Sodom. He thought that once he was out of Sodom, that he was in the clear 
He thought that once he was out of Sodom, he would be okay. And as soon as he was dragged out of Sodom, that he thought the consequences had been avoided. And, and just read again. I've, I've read it twice, but I just, this is the, the key here, verse 18. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. You know what he's saying? Angels. Thank, thank you so much for your help. You've been great. I mean, you were a little pushy, you know, getting this, that's fine. But, I mean, we needed to get out. I get it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm really sorry. We're, we're not mountain people. We've found grace in your sight. We've, we've seen the mercy. And we appreciate the mercy. Uh, you know, we're no longer in Sodom, so we're out of the woods. And Sodom was the problem. Sodom was the issue. And now that we're out, though, we're in the clear. And, and we'll, just be, we'll be just fine. So just see that little city, this little town, Zoar. Just, just let us go there. It's a little city. It doesn't have all the big city problems. And, uh, I mean, you know, it gets really, you know, it's high, highly ranked in, in medium-sized towns in, in this part of the country. And, you know, just let us go there. It will be fine. The consequences are done because we're out of Sodom. And that's all we needed. Do you see the problem? I know that, again, that's a loose interpretation um, but Lot thought that changing his circumstances would free him from the consequences. See, in his mind, escaping Sodom meant escaping consequences. But going to Zoar didn't help with the consequences because his wife still turned to a pillar of salt. And then going to the mountains, that actually didn't help him escape the consequences either because his daughters committed an, un an awful sin. And it didn't matter if they went to the city or if they went up to the mountains because Lot and his family carried Sodom out in, with them in their hearts. And it means that everywhere they went, they would have to deal with the consequences of the Sodom mindset. And here's the point, the principle that I want to see and, and learn from and then apply and then will be done. It's this, you can change your circumstances, but if you don't change your condition you will not avoid the consequences. You can change your circumstances. But if you don't, uh, to, but if you don't change your condition, you won't avoid the consequences. See, Lot's problem was not Sodom. His problem was not circumstantial. His problem was not environmental. His problem was conditional. It was that he had been influenced by the city of Sodom and his heart had grown far too attached to the ways of Sodom. So whether or not he moved to the city or whether or not he relocated to the mountains, he carried his issues with him. No matter where they were going, they were going to be affected by Sodom. And I, I thought to illustrate this this morning, I was going to stop and grab some, uh, some Limburger cheese. I don't have any... I don't have any cheese up here. My wife won't let me drive, so I'm just going to say, let's just say this represents Limburger cheese. And let's say that you and I are hanging out, we're talking after church, and you decided to play a joke on the poor one-armed pastor. And you walk by and you slip some Limburger cheese into my pocket. 
Now, if you've ever smelled Limburger cheese, it's terrible stuff. It smells like feet, okay? Are you hungry? So you slip it into my pocket, and then at, we're talking for a while, and after a while, I'm like, man, this guy really needs to wash his feet. Brother Samuel, his wife is out of town. He's forgotten, apparently. So I go to another group of people, and I'm talking in another group of people. And I'm like, man, these people have the same problem. It's like, I think I need to preach a series on hygiene here at Eastside. And then I go to another group of people, and the same thing is happening there. And I smell something, and it's, I mean, there's an issue. And I don't, I just say, okay, Aaron, we just have to go home because these people don't clean their feet. So we go home, and I go to my living room, and I sit down, and I still smell it. And, I, and I'm starting to realize that the problem was not everyone else's. It's mine. So I clean my feet, but it doesn't fix the problem. Because there's a piece of cheese in my pocket that is the culprit. And I know that's silly, and I, I'm not even sure you know, where that came from, I'm just saying that's exactly what we do sometimes. See, Lot thought the change of scenery would help him avoid the consequences, but because he and his family didn't change their condition, they still had to deal with the consequences of Sodom. And you can change your circumstances, but if you don't change your condition, you will not avoid the consequences. What does it look like? Well, I've known people that have literally, their kids are having trouble in school, and so they go to the principal, and they go to the teacher, and they go multiple times, and, and, and they just can't get it resolved. Maybe their children have an issue with the teacher or the other children in the class, and so they move them out of school, and they take them to a different school, and a couple of months later, what's happening? The children have the same problem in the new classroom. And yet those parents very often don't realize the problem is not the school, school number one, and it's not school number two, it's child number one and child number two. I know people that, just like that, they'll change a job because they can't get along with people in their workplace, and so they switch jobs and they go somewhere else, and the same problems they had at the first job are still present in the second job, but their, their, their decision or choice is not to fix themselves, it's to find a different job and avoid it again because every place in Sioux Falls has the same problems. I don't know why they don't get it. I know people that think if I just had a different car, it would help me be content. No, if you, a car doesn't help you. A new house won't help you. More money won't help you. Discontentment is a conditional problem that must be fixed through Jesus Christ. Moving back to your hometown. I know people that literally have, have moved away and for years longed to be back where they were. And they were never happy because they wanted just to go home. And when they got home, it didn't fix everything. I think about in church, if you switching, switching ministries or switching classes or you think maybe that what you're doing isn't big enough and you want to get something a little bit more out in front and you want to do something a little bit more important and so you get there but because it's a heart condition and it's not a matter of service then you're very soon looking for something different again or sitting somebody somewhere else in the sanctuary because you know you and that person just don't get along and I've, and I've heard that, you know, well, we just don't do well serving together. Well, the problem with that is 
I mean, we're, it's not such a big congregation that you can always avoid people. There are going to be people in this room that you don't like. And listen, the problem or the, the answer is not to run away. It's not to sit somewhere different. It's to go to God and say, God, change my condition. Because changing my circumstance won't help me avoid the consequences. So God, just change me. I know people that have moved churches because of something they're not happy with or, or they say they're not being fed. And I, I mean, I get it. I understand. It doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But if the problem is in your heart, it doesn't matter what church you're going to. Think about leaving a relationship. You know, hasn't that become the answer to America's problems these days is, you know, if, if I'm not happy, you're not making me happy. This is an expendable relationship and I can just cut it off and I'll file for divorce, divorce and I'll move on to somebody else that will complete me. Except that if you haven't fixed your heart condition, it doesn't matter who you're with or who you're going to, that will not fix the problem. If you have a problem with some sin in your life, the temptation may be to pretend it's all okay and look good on the outside, but that doesn't change what's happening on the inside. Your condition, friend, is that you are a sinner. Again, not popular. But the solution must deal with the sin. And yet, very often, it's God's people, when we have a sin problem, we don't deal with the sin. Sometimes we add more works. We try to cover up what we're doing by pretending to be something we're not. But listen, if you have a brain tumor, the answer is not aspirin. You, you must target the problem, not the symptoms. The symptom is, or the solution is Jesus Christ, by the way. And that he died on a cross to die for your sins. He took upon himself uh, the payment for your sins. And he dealt with our sin problems. So, so, so don't focus on cover-ups. And don't focus on more works. Or don't focus on trying to overcome sin in your own strength. The work has been done on the cross by Jesus Christ himself. And you can try to adjust your circumstances without fixing your condition. But you will, not, you will have to deal with the consequences of a life bound by sin. And you'll have to continually cover it up. And I'm just telling you, Christian, God's child this morning, if there's sin in your life and there's something that you've been dealing with for a long time, why not take it to the only person who's ever been able to do anything to deal with your sin? And that is Jesus Christ. Forget the cover-up, forget the makeup, forget dressing the way that everyone expects you to and working as hard as everyone expects you to. Go to Jesus Christ and get it dealt with. Deal with the actual problem and you won't have to deal with the consequences. A lot of people in this world and maybe some in this room and you have a sin problem and your sin problem is that you were born a sinner and no one's ever yet you've never received Christ as your payment for sin you've never received his payment you've never asked him for forgiveness you've never gone to him in humility and said I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do about this on my own and listen so you cover it up with other things maybe like religion or you cover it up, you put a smile on your face even though there's not one in your heart. And you know that your condition before God is still sinner. And you can hide it your whole life, but if you never get that issue dealt with, you will have to deal with the consequences of sin. And the consequences of sin that, haven't, sin that has not been forgiven is eternal separation from God. And I say, 
if the cost to me is humility and asking him to forgive me and receiving his free gift of the, on the cross as compared to eternal separation, why would I ever choose to carry my sin? Listen, you can change your circumstances, but if you don't change your condition, you won't avoid the consequences. Two months ago, I injured my shoulder in the Black Hills, in case you didn't know. I completely severed the rotator cuff. It was just not connected at all. Just, I did it 100% because that's what I do. I also damaged the bicep tendon, which they had to fix as well. And for the last two months before surgery, I've dealt with a lot of issues because of it. And if you tried to shake my hand leading up to the surgery, I would come in like this and say, that's a used car salesman handshake. No, that's a torn rotator cuff handshake right there. It was awkward for everybody. My wife would laugh at me because I would put, I, I, there's not a wall close to me, so I'm not going to do it. But you, I would put deodorant on by throwing my bad arm up against the wall. <laughs> put deodorant on and step away and let it fall back. Like uh, just having a detached arm. I wasn't able to do anything over my head or out in front of me. And I, was, it's, I would call myself like part T-Rex, you know, just little arms that weren't helping. If I'd fallen over, who knows if I'd gotten up again. Some of the side effects were funny, but it got very serious to me one day when I took my son to the park. And I wasn't able to throw a ball back and forth with him. I had an issue. And there were a few things I could have done. I could have just dealt with it and just toughed it out because that's what we do. And we're Americans. On, this is Independence Day. We're Americans, right? I could have just dealt with it because I could function fairly normally, minus the T-Rex and the used car salesman handshakes. I could have just switched to my non-dominant hand. As my, my right hand is my dominant hand. And, um, I mean, I, I could have learned to write. I could have learned to shoot a basketball and brush my teeth and do everything else with my left hand and I could have remained completely dependent as if I'm not already completely dependent on my wife for most things. I could have remained completely dependent on her for things and I know she's willing and a great help but you know she even has a limit. But of all the things I could have tried none of them would have actually fixed the problem. See the only way to truly get past the issue was to have surgery. So I called the doctor to set up an appointment I got an MRI, I scheduled a surgery date, I cleared off some time to recover. Why? Because that was the only way to fix the issue. Putting up with a sling for a month and a half and rehab for who knows how long after that is, is worth the price of actually fixing the problem. And honestly, it's a little humbling. I mean, there are a lot of things I've had to ask my wife to do. I never thought I'd have to have her help me do things. I'm tying my shoes and putting on a belt. Things that, you know, you don't normally think of someone having to help you with. I just had to humble myself. Because I wanted the problem fixed. And it'll, it'll, it'll cause me some, some heartache or pain in the next few weeks, I'm sure, and next couple of months. But in the end, if the problem is fixed, I'm, I'm willing to do it. But too many people in life and in spiritual things don't follow the same reasoning. They have an issue at work, so they change jobs without recognizing it's a heart problem. And others have an issue with a person, so they avoid them and think they're going to avoid them for the years to come or get critical of them 
or even take revenge only to realize the problem is a heart issue that doesn't go away with retribution or ignoring someone. I know people who've had a bad habit or have developed a pattern of wrong thinking so they do something different to distract them from what they're thinking and and what's wrong but it never deals with the problem and therefore their condition remains the same. And if there are circumstances in your life that drive you crazy or people that drive you crazy or things that just upset you, changing the circumstance won't change your condition. Your contentment in Christ is the only thing that will fix your outlook. Jesus Christ is the answer, not a change of scenery. And you could say it this way. You don't need a change of scenery. You need a change of heart. To ignore the condition and focus on the circumstances will not prevent consequences. The consequences are connected to the condition, not the circumstances. It is what is in your heart that determines the consequences... And outcomes. It's not your job that's the problem. It's not that clunker of a car that you're driving. It's not that person at work. It's not that person you've had an issue with at church for so long. It's not your circumstance that causes you the problems. It is your heart condition. And friend, your answer is not a change of scenery. It's a change of heart. You can change everything, but if your heart doesn't change, neither will those consequences. Matthew 5 15, 18, Jesus said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth, from, come forth from the heart. That defileth the man. David prayed, Psalm 51, create in me a new heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This thing's a heart issue, and if it is, circumstances aren't going to fix it. So you say, well, how do I keep my heart? Well, Look in our passage here at verse 27 and 28. We have a good example. Look at verse 27, Genesis 19, 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. See, here's interesting. While Lot was losing his wife and dealing with his daughters, Abraham just stayed by the altar. See, he never got wrapped up in the allure of the cities, of the plain. He stayed close to the Lord. Abraham stayed there on, on the mountain and just, and just did what he was supposed to do rather than getting wrapped up in what the world had to offer. And I'm telling you, if you'll stay on the mountain, you won't have to face the consequences of the cities on the plains. God is your, has, is your number one priority, and if he is, you won't have to deal with the consequences in the plains. And the best choice you can make, friend, is to never go to Sodom. And you say, well, I'm already there. Okay, maybe, but listen, you can return. You know how I know that? Because God gave plenty of mercy to Lot. Dragged him out of the city. And as a matter of fact, I believe Lot knew where Abraham's altar was. And he could have gone there at any time. He just had to leave Sodom and go back. And it's time for some of God's people to leave the plains and go back to the mountain. To detach yourself from the loyalty in Sodom and fall back in love with God who wants what's best for you. It's time to stop focusing on the circumstance. And shift your attention to your heart condition. Assume the problem is you. Go back up the mountain... 
Confess your sin and make God your first love again. And you'll find that when things are right between you and the Lord, all the circumstances don't matter nearly as much anymore. If you want to avoid the consequences, don't ask for a change of scenery. Ask God for a change of heart. And that may be exactly what you need this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.